Hey ladies and gents, welcome to the Controlled Interest Gamecast, where we talk about video games and everything happening in the industry. Episode 139, as always, I'm joined by Dom. I'm trying to praise the sun, um, but it's just real damn dark <laughs> these days. And uh, Jordan. Eating good in the neighborhood. Oh, okay, I do not endorse that shit around here, but whatever. <laughs> um, so in- instead of our usual what we've been playing, I think the the beginning of our podcast for Happen the News, we're going to focus on a Sekiro and talking about our initial impressions on it. Um, from what we've talked about before the podcast, I've played it the most, so I probably want to go last. Um, I guess, Dom, you've played it the least out of all of us, so you can go ahead and give us your initial impressions so, as someone who's played all the Dark Souls games, excluding Demon Souls, thus Dark Souls games, uh, and Bloodborne, yeah, yeah. did play Bloodborne, that was a good one, Sekiro is just so fundamentally different in regards to gameplay Yeah. that I'm very, very, you know, not far in, but it's just beating the hell out of me. And it feels weird not knowing how to fight enemies in a FromSoft game. Because <laughs> it's something I had gotten so good at. I could nearly play Dark Souls 1 with my eyes closed. I just know the rhythm and the how to fight. It just, it's so ingrained in me that going into this, I'm just... It's so difficult. It's so hard, and I, I can't would say, figure it out yet. <laughs> I will not stop trying, the, though. The difference between Souls and Bloodborne is a speed change, whereas this feels almost like a format change in the way yeah, you're approaching yeah. combat. So it's not as easy probably to jump between the two. Oh no yeah because <laughs> even dark souls to bloodborne yeah it's not as big of a jump they incentivize you to be more aggressive just through uh, being able to gain health back by like yeah. hitting quicker after you get hit and then you get your stamina regens quicker in, in bloodborne but in dark souls you could a lot of people play that game you know without a shield um, or with one of the small shields that's only good for parrying anyway so I mean you can really uh, play Dark Souls just the same way as you play Bloodborne. Um, I mean, your character just is a little slower, but you could use that same style. But Sekiro is just holy crap! It's just it's just different um, the gameplay. But um, outside of that, because I've not played too much, I mean, it's super good looking, um, which is I guess to be expected. I mean, this is another Dark Souls three was their first. No, Bloodborne was also this gen. I don't know what I'm talking about. But anyway, the game looks great. <laughs> It's um, it's only 18 gigabytes. So, sorry, uh, Rockstar, Activision, everybody else, Bethesda, who thinks that they, who can't figure out a way to keep their games under 100 gigabytes. But 18 gigabytes, guys. Just saying. Just saying. I can keep more than one of these fuckers on my hard drive at a time. Anyway. Um, okay. Well, that's maybe that's my, like a, <laughs> Apple Store oranges. That should be directed at Sony and not Red Dead, who's making gorgeous 4K games. Because I will say, like. Frums come a long way, but their games are still woefully uh, under the bar. I would say that is set by other AAA I think, games. These are like these are more than AA, but less than AAA. So I disagree with Sekiro. I think Sekiro is one of like the most beautiful games this gen. It's beautiful, yeah, but it dude, good. the character models are still like like the way that they're moving, acting moving their lips whatever audio track you're using like there's just they're they're behind now the environments are great but there's just 
a difference there. It's not the same as a AAA game to me. Like, they don't anyway, put as much into the UI, all that. So. But they put more I'm effort into glad. the combat, which is a lot better than most games. So I think their focus is sure. elsewhere. Which is yeah. a lot of, like, AA, single-A games will do that, where it's like, hey, we're not going to give you the best-looking cutscenes, but we're going to be able to give you the most fun or engaging gameplay. So. These cutscenes are beautiful, though, in this game. I agree with the player models yeah, during yeah. the actual gameplay, but the cutscenes are gorgeous no i think the models look better in the gameplay i think the models look bad in the cutscenes. i'm i i completely disagree sure yeah yeah i think it looks good but i'm just glad it's 18 gigabytes it's like unheard of i just i'm I don't know. by the way jared are you playing <laughs> japanese audio track no so song? i was actually debating with that and my mm. uh, my reasoning i went english english well i guess i'm not doing sub. i am doing subtitles but not because i can't understand what they're saying obviously um my first playthrough i just want to like holy focus on the story and not have to worry about that stuff so much but i when i play through it my second time which i will do for sure i am going to get the more authentic and i love that by default it is a japanese audio that's awesome i that's love that that said it's audio. but also interesting is the fact that we're both on english i since you said that about the cutscene, suspected you'd be on japanese because i can't believe how bad the lip syncing is in english which oh. i understand that the default is is japanese but that's what I'm saying when I'm talking about like kind of um, production value, I guess, is that other games a lot, you know, kind of what you would expect to be published by Activision. It's like, well, we're we have a global release and we're going to make sure that the lips sync up no matter what language you're using. Yeah, for I guess I don't I don't consider lip sync in terms like cause I was talking about how beautiful it looks graphically, you know, so lip sync wouldn't be in that conversation for me in terms of how pretty the cutscenes look. Yeah. Yeah. It just it's it it gets really distracting for me. But generally, yeah, the environments are pretty. And uh, Dom, sorry for interrupting. Yeah. No, I'll, I'll piggyback, piggy bank, piggyback. I mean, we're all talking about Sekiro's today. Yeah. So, yeah. You know. So that's the other weird thing about this game because there's there's you can still feel it's a FromSoft game. Uh, right. The way the subtitles are written and the way that like the tone that people talk in and different things like that and it just has a feel. But it is weird having one of those games and all of a sudden the cutscenes have all this dialogue and you can go talk to NPCs and the way they talk is just they're, they're actually speaking to you in meaningful, coherent sentences. <laughs> it's well, a weird fucking thing. The interesting thing too, I don't think either of you have gotten to this part and I wouldn't consider this a spoiler because I'm not going to be very specific on it. But to your point of like there's a lot more narrative in this game actually described to you than other From games. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. There's these, there's these um, parts you can find throughout the game that are like red glowing areas and when you walk up it shows a past memory of characters so there's also other outside of just npcs that you talk to there's these like specific areas with the young prince that you're protecting that give you backstory as well that are really cool when you find them as well and i don't think either of you have reached that because it's we talked about before the show where you guys have gotten in the game and i think the first one you run into is a little bit past the area where both of you guys got to that second mini boss technically yeah, I have not gotten there yet, but that it is it is just a little jarring, yeah, to have all this narrative kind of like you know, explicitly explained. It's it's just weird. And to be a part of yeah. like the story like as it's happening too more so. Yeah. Like I won't say what happens, but like you're in the beginning, you know, there's events, you know, that take place and you're right in the middle of them. <laughs> you you can talk about the beginning so, of the so, game. <laughs> you can talk about the there's beginning. There's events of the game. that take place at the beginning of the game. Wink wink. It's just weird that you're in them. And it's happening. Like, you fight that initial guy, um, who spoiler 
cut your hand off. Uh, just, I mean, obviously you lose a hand at some point, right? Um, <laughs> but yeah, and then you know the the little prince gets kidnapped from you, and so like that's the premise of the game. But you're actually there when it happens, and you're a part of it. And you're in the fight, and like I don't know, that kind of stuff doesn't really happen in Dark Souls games. It's kind of just you're doing your own story and making things happen yourself. It's just different. A the, lot of it, a lot of it in Souls and Bloodborne is environmental storytelling, and also. Uh, a lot of the narrative and, and uh, context is, is told through item descriptions, right? Yeah, or like vague, vague NPC dialogue where this is giving you a clearly defined story, uh, which it's it's jarring, but I do think a lot of that probably has to do with their partnership with Activision, you know? And right. not in a bad way either. I enjoy it. It's a different take for a Souls game. Yeah. But yeah, um, that's, that's about all I got. I've not played very much at all, so I mean... I just got to get better at the combat. I got to sink some more time into it and get used to it because it is just a different thing than any of the other Souls games. So, yeah. Dom, since you were mentioning kind of the story and the cutscenes, I feel like I should give a shout out to the opening cinematic, um, which once again, so glad that I'm not necessarily media blackout, but I just really don't watch trailers for much of anything anymore. And, of course, this was already out there. I'm so glad that I didn't see it because it is gorgeous. And it does introduce you to the story of this orphaned boy or the wolf as you are. And uh, just this gigantic hulking figure that kind of adopts you and trains you. Um, That was obviously way higher production value than anything I was used to from From. Well, I guess they've had opening cutscenes for... Um, not to the level though games, it's it's their best i think yeah i would say that I yeah i'd say that like bloodborne the hunter walking through the town and stuff like that looks cool but this is like this really did look fucking gorgeous and it it uh jumping into the cutscenes, i wasn't like oh man but it was like what it was is like loving especially from japanese games i just love and i'm so glad i didn't watch it for this and I'm glad I didn't watch it for Kingdom Hearts before they came out but just like settling into the game and being introduced to the game through this opening cinematic that has this higher production value kind of like they do with their anime intros in Japan um, where they'll put a lot of budget into that opening cinematic so I really appreciated that even when you uh, after you save the prince and you walk out of the tunnel right after that beginning area and there's the Mm -hmm. field in front of you so beautiful oh man it's so gorgeous yeah Yeah. it really is a pretty game like i said during the gameplay i think it's very pretty um i will say the actual like watching the movement of the wolf the character sekido i think is really rough for me um which i guess kind of like links to the gameplay because of the two i would say this is closer to bloodborne than the soul series yeah and uh, gameplay-wise, combat-wise, and uh, man, moving this character around versus moving the hunter around in Bloodborne is a world of difference. I can I I think it feels so fluid and nice with the dash button and the um, just kind of the trot that you have um, to kind of um, get around your enemies even when you're not actually like sprinting in Bloodborne I really like the strafe in Bloodborne um, and the character movement in this game is not nearly up to par uh, when you compare it to Bloodborne I think like 
He's, I didn't notice he's that. He's remind me. Oh gosh, dude. He keeps like when he runs around, it's like, or not runs around, but like, um, you know, kind of jogs like mid speed. He's kind of doing this like hunched over thing, and it reminds me of when I was making fun of Spider Man PS4, where it like it literally looks like he's holding a shit in his jeans, like, <laughs> like he just crapped his pants and he's trying like doesn't want it to fall out, and so it's like this half hunched over like kind of jog thing. And it's just, to me, it's very, it feels very clunky. And like when I'm trying to get around these hulking figures or these tough samurai, ninja, whatever things that I'm facing, um, it hasn't been very, it hasn't felt very fluid to me. Um, but I do like the combat. I think I, I can appreciate the fact that the speed has been, um, you know, set closer to Bloodborne than Souls. That's probably what links them closest. Um, and I haven't gotten into other weapons, but the sword, um, I will say that's a big difference. I, I hate to compare this to Bloodborne so closely, but I mean, same company. And like I said, like this is their closest, um, contemporary. So, um, like the fact that you have the fewer weapons in Bloodborne, but that they have so many different kind of permutations and ways that you can use them and attack with them and um like you literally can switch the weapon into like two different modes basically um i feel like so far because of the fact that the combat is so heavily focusing on not just attacking but also parrying blocking with your weapon and um kind of holding your ground and your posture as it were um, I feel like the attacking half has been super simplified and um, that's to kind of like balance out the fact that it's more just supposed to be a balanced combat system where it is like half attack half defense whereas Bloodborne is all about being aggressive and kind of pushing your limits and seeing how much you can get away with like with as little defense as possible almost being almost like a scrappy fighter that doesn't get touched as opposed to trying to trying to just stay alive um so that part is uh kind of jarring for me i guess um where jared you were kind of touching on this before the show like it, it really is about kind of if you want the game to click if you want to be able to enjoy the game properly you really have to learn how to um master or at least understand the kind of defense and blocking parry system right yeah and I, I guess i wouldn't say that the game is necessarily balanced between offense and defense because from what i've played it's it's about you being aggressive but the difference is mm. from what i obviously i haven't played bloodborne but i've watched quite a bit of it is that in bloodborne it seems like it's all about aggression and when you're in danger evading right you don't really ever block in bloodborne it's not the point it's attacking and evading right dodging right this is also. I should mention. I was kind of talking about the controls specifically. I did never say that out loud, but that's like where my mind was at. Okay. Like you have, you just have attack and defend kind of in this game. I mean, you have more than that, but um, you have like uh, ninja stars that you can throw or whatever. But when it comes to your weapon in this game, there's an attack button and there's a defend button or parry. You know, uh, hold there's... up your sword button. Um, whereas Bloodborne, you have, like, like I was saying, you have, like, light attack, heavy attack, then you can switch, 
you can press the switch the button to switch your weapon mid attack so that it does a whole different like there's so many different permutations so, in Bloodborne that you have like five different options whereas here it's just attack button. Yeah. Obviously you guys are still early on and there's some systems you guys haven't even unlocked yet. So I'll speak to this from somebody who's unlocked a lot of these things that you cuz I think some of that will change as you go farther in the game, Jordan. So um, you only have the sword in the game, right? That's your only main weapon. The thing that changes and the thing that you are forced to experiment with is your prosthetic arm. And mm. um, I have four different tools. I don't want to necessarily say them because, like I said, I don't want to spoil it for you guys. But I have four different tools, and I'm constantly forced to change between them and experiment with enemies and try out the new prosthetic arms. So there's a lot of variation there in terms of the gameplay. And also, uh, you unlock a skill tree where you buy skills, right? And there's special moves that you unlock in there. There's certain types of counters you unlock. There's certain types of moves you use that use both LB and RB to uh, use them. You press them both at the same time to activate the move. They're called like samurai skills or something like that. Um, so there are special moves and there are different permutations in the combat. Um, and I have found a lot of differentiation there uh, based so, on... But when it comes to actually swinging your sword, there is simply attack button correct there's no, no light there's attack, heavy attack well yes with that there's no heavy attack and light attack but there are varying different attacks you can do with your sword so there's your attacking yeah, you special like, move you can do like power up moves or whatever but i'm saying as far as your basic attacks that you don't need anything extra to do there's only one attack yes Right, yeah, so that's the simplicity that I was uh, getting at when it comes to more basic attack and defense, and then you're adding these, um, the the arm, the prosthetic arm, and then, um, like you mentioned, a couple extra power-ups here and there. Um, so that is why I say that it's so much, like, they really do want you to focus on being able to parry and... Um, defend yourself properly that's why they have the posture stance instead of having stamina or um the regain bar like in bloodborne so it uh and you know this is a this is from software finally making their ancient samurai game so that's that's it's old school uh sword fighting tactics but i will say so far a game that i have spent plenty of hours playing I like the um, implementation of Neo more than uh, Sekido because Neo you have um, like light attack heavy. Neo like really is Samurai Bloodborne where this is not. This is like different, right? Yeah. Um, so you have like the light attack, heavy attack, the different weapon permutations like I was talking about. And then you have on top of that, which I really like, you have... Uh, three different stances, which I won't go into the details of what they all do, but obviously you can tell that, like, oh, that would give me different options as far as more defensive, more offensive, more... Um, there's there's multiple different uh, things to choose from. So um, I kind of like the, like I said, implementation of that so far, but I might enjoy the more, in the way I see it, more simplistic kind of nature whereas uh, Sekiro's kind of, it's like it's getting it down to brass tacks. Like it really wants it to be you and the opponent facing off as adversaries taking each other down and not just you like kind of running through enemies. Yeah. 
This I, this game more than any other from game I've played is all about trying to isolate foes, right? Like you get yeah a few foes at you coming like surrounding you. This game more than any other from game is like you're really about to be fucked so, if you aren't able to kind of take them down individually. So to your point, like. It is a rule in Souls and in Bloodborne 2 that you don't ever want to get surrounded by multiple enemies, but you can make right. do, right? Like you it's it's right. more difficult but you can make do. This game is probably the the hardest in terms of facing multiple enemies at once. Because it's of very the posture stuff. Exactly. It's very difficult. Um, the thing I will say to this game is that it does give you a real sense of accomplishment or at least for me for stealth. Um, it rewards you for stealth throughout the game. Yeah, a lot more stealth. And it makes areas easier. There's been plenty of times yeah. I've run into certain types of enemies, once again being vague for spoiler reasons, and they are hard as hell to face head on. Um, but after respawn or exiting the area and dropping aggro and coming back, I came through and I snuck through and I stealth killed them. And it made it a lot easier, so it rewards you for taking the time to go stealth. And a lot of the enemies are set up in a way that you can stealth them. Obviously, it's a from game, yes. so they're going to set up traps or the ability to not, the lack of ability to be able to take up, to, uh, take out two enemies that are next to each other because the moment you stealth kill one, the other one will get notified and understand right. that you're right there. Um, but it does reward stealth in a really meaningful way, which is great. Uh, another thing with from games that I've loved, obviously I can't speak to it with Bloodborne, but I'm pretty sure it does the same thing. Souls games have really cool, interesting NPCs. You have the Onion Knight in the Souls series. Mm. Uh, you have the other knights in Dark Souls three. I forget their names. Um, the one, you know, which ones I'm talking about, Dom? The three knights that you find in that little like circle before you go to. Can't remember their names off the top of my head. Anyways, the Souls games are known for really interesting NPCs, and I will say Bloodborne that. Uh, yeah, Bloodborne as well. Um, there's some really cool characters in this game. Um, Strong anime vibes, Jordan, from some of these characters that remind me of oh, some yeah. uh, some people from Death Note or even uh, Hunter Hunter, which I'm currently watching. Um, the dude that you meet at the beginning that like is just a kind of like a re um, animating zombie that allows you to train. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. That's he, that, super anime. I was like, oh it, my gosh, like the way his face looks and all that. <laughs> it's one of the coolest implementations of that. It makes sense contextually in the world, right? That there's this guy who's undying. And he's like, hey, if you need a undying, that's what I was trying to say. If you if you need to try to work on stuff, uh, I'm here to be your warm body or whatever he says. Yeah, um, warm body. <laughs> there's you guys haven't learned about the consequences for dying yet, right? Yeah, you like lose. Yeah, it rot. sucks. Okay, I just wasn't sure. I didn't want to spoil anything. Yeah. yeah, there is ways to cure dragon rot. Uh, what I will say is uh, they're very scarce. So if you know you're about to go into an area where you're going to die a lot, don't use the dragon rot heal before that because you're just like you know right. not making any progress. If you're about to go face a hard boss, you don't want to clear everybody of dragon rot just before that because you're going to die a lot and it's just going to give it to them again. Exactly. Another That's th what I will say about that system and kind of just the like these games have intricate and detailed systems. One of my biggest complaints with Neo was that they took what From did with those systems and kind of just went too far to where it's way too complex. Yeah. Um, but like Bloodborne, you have systems similar to this. Usually the tradition is like you 
go out into the world, you die, you can come back before dying again. If you get to that spot, you can like resurrect what, like your old soul almost, whatever you want to call it in the specific game. And you can get kind of like the points back, right? You can get your your blood echoes or your souls back, right? In this game, you're dying twice where you can, instead of trying to get back to that spot, you basically just restart right then. It's like you want to give it another try right now, go ahead. You can choose whether or not to. Um, and then there's on the back end, the whole like getting your stuff back that may have been lost is um, uh, you might have to help me with the name of this Jared but basically there's a percentage of how often you will get back your stuff when you die oh yeah, sometimes and, you keep uh, it it's, yeah, the it's dragon called like rot sorry go ahead. decreases that percentage it's called like uh, lu- not lucky savior it's something like that and it's like you said it's a percentage of right. Uh, the chance of you losing half of your stuff upon death, um, but and the more dragon rot you get, the lower that percentage goes down. And if it's completely healed, right. it's maxed at I think thirty percent. Um, yeah, so I kind of had to get on the internet and like look that up. Like, wait, am I going to be able to cure this dragon rot? Okay, I can do that. It's a simple enough process to where you can do it throughout the game. Yada yada yada. But I felt like that was seems like just really intricate systems, kind of on the back end. Like I said, that are to me, I'm not necessarily sure if I'm thrilled with how complicated they seem off the bat because I couldn't understand them initially, which yeah. isn't unheard of for a from game. But um, we'll see how I settle into the, it. That's a uh, that's like pretty par for the course. So like, Dark Souls One had it was really only one area, a few enemies that could curse you, and mm. when you died after being cursed or whatever, you your health bar is permanently halved. Yep. Process to heal that is a little bit tougher, but you could do it. And then Dark Souls I gotta 2. Say, in every one of their games, they have some arbitrary bullshit that it's like, hey, we're just going to like bend you over for a couple hours and screw you for no reason whatsoever. And then we might let you have back that which you lost. So, yeah, it, it, it's definitely used as a way to like make you play a certain way, right? So like when you see those certain enemies right. that you know can curse you, you're going to play differently and the next example I was going to give in Dark Souls 2 you actually every single time you die part of your health bar is permanently notched off or whatever all the way up until half or something like that and that's like when they first explain that it's just oof but you get used to it pretty quick From is clearly the most masochistic of any developer (laughs) I can think of like you can just hear them laughing at you in the background being like it's a troll you gotta do this (laughs) asshole fuck you Uh, it's like god damn it the thing there are times where I just want to like like give developers a good slap in the mouth for things the thing with dragon rot though is it actually seems the the least uh, intensive in terms of its actual cause and effect on the world from everything I've read the only thing it really affects is NPC quest lines, which majority of people who play from games don't even do. Um, yeah, not the it, first time do, at least. I, exactly. Yeah. Why, why do they have to take story away from you though? It's like, well, geez. Man. Well, it's technically not even taking story away because most, I think all, all from quest lines are kind of convoluted in themselves. Not difficulty wise, but just like going to a certain area at a certain time of the game. Yeah. Like, oh, this guy yeah. is here now. Um, yeah. It doesn't seem like it has any real strong ramifications on the end of the story, from what I've read. Mm. Obviously, I've avoided spoilers and all that. Um, so I've touched on... I'm trying to think of the last thing I want to touch on. Oh, 
One of the coolest parts about From Games is optional bosses. This game does a really good job about rewarding exploration and also punishing it. So obviously you can find really cool items, you can find shinobi tools you could easily pass in the game. So that's one thing I'll say is make sure to explore the world because there's missable things uh, throughout shinobi tools that are very useful in certain fights. And mm -hmm. there's two optional bosses or mini bosses I've found. One of them is like a complete F you, you shouldn't have came here boss. And the other one is are you skilled enough to beat him? Uh, if that makes sense. Like one is based situationally on you being too big headed and trying to get in a fight you shouldn't have. And the other one is testing how good you are at the game yet. Sounds like I won't know the difference when I get uh, to them. You will. You will. Without spoiling, there's one that's very obvious like this is this is from bait. <laughs> this is from software mm -hmm. bait to do this. Um, what I will say too, so I faced three big bosses, three normal souls from bosses, and they all feel completely different. Once again, avoiding spoilers, one of them is based on you using your uh, your grappling hook a lot, which is really cool. Uh, another one is based on uh, ground movement, and the other one just feels like uh, uh, what's the what's the martial arts movie I'm thinking of? Uh, Tiger, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Uh, if yeah. you're familiar with that movie and the movement of martial arts in that movie, there's a specific boss fight that's uh, insane. Um, the one thing I will so, say... Sorry, I, I have a question for you since you're further ahead whenever you're done. Uh, that's. I was just going to go into um, one of the themes of the world in general that I really like, but if you have a question... Um, so, so far, obviously only a couple hours in or whatever, but... Um, so far, I'm not seeing why they necessarily needed to strip away the kind of like action RPG side of the Souls games. And um, it does feel more simplistic to me. Obviously, it's still just as gritty, tough as nails type of thing. And it certainly has these systems um, for you to overcome and conquer. But um, why am I not changing agility stats and you know choosing like what areas to put points in when I level up type of thing is there a, do you see a reason why they would have not wanted that so in all the other souls games you don't play a specific character right you play whatever you create and I'm not saying that's yeah. a, a specific reason but that's my initial point is so obviously you're playing specifically as the wolf and you do upgrade and change things um, the skill, the skill thing that you guys, I don't think you guys have unlocked it yet, but there's varying branches in it, and the ones you have at the beginning when you first unlock it aren't the ones you can have for the rest of the game. That's part of like some of the hidden uh, documents you can find that unlock parts of it, and they yeah. they help unlock um, movement, uh, stealth uh, things, make you more stealthy, uh, special moves like I was talking about before. Um, the pearl beads, you guys have probably run into those. Uh, when you have four of those, that's how it upgrades your vitality and uh, your stamina. And there's also right. um, the points you accrue to unlock the skill points as well. I just think the reason they did it is because they're focusing on this narrative with a specific character. And they want the focus of you upgrading to be specifically for his combat, not your own unique playstyle. Because unlike other games, obviously it's less so in Bloodborne. But in, but in Souls, you can uh, use magic or you can use... Uh, like uh, Dom was saying, aggressive style combat, or you could use sword and shield style combat. This is specifically telling the story 
of this shinobi and i think they wanted to focus less on you making it customizable in terms of the overall play style and more so on the specific combat i think I that's that. yeah the the thing i want to talk about too and you guys will see more of this as the game goes along bless you um is that the theme of the a lot of the points of the of this world that they built the the theming of it is that a lot of the important warriors in this world are based off of animals. They're named after animals, uh, which is really cool. Obviously, Wolf is the main guy, right? Um, Shinobi. The, there's other characters you meet and other bosses and even friendly NPCs that are all named and based off of animals. Um, the, so, the, just to be clear, this is like historical fiction. It, it does take place in Japan. Yes, right? in the, in during the Sengoku the, era. Right, and it is uh, realistic to an extent with, you know, kind of like real life, um, I guess, you know, battles and just everything that goes with that. But um, It's Game of Thrones where it's like there's... realistic, but there is elements of magic and like, you know. But I'm saying it does occur in our world. Uh, I don't know. Because I thought there were... Uh, like referencing it like it's our world that's what i'm saying like <clears throat> game of thrones is is fantasy it's not na- actually historical fiction even though obviously we know george r, r. martin took from like war of the roses and stuff um that's what I'm, I'm trying to figure out is it historical fiction or is it fantasy that closely resembles history i think it's that because nowhere in the eight hours i've played do they ever mention japan um okay yeah i think it's like a made-up I think it's as close as it can be with it still not being real. Um, right. The the father figure at the beginning that you were talking about, um, they say his name. I missed it the first time around, um, but he's called Owl, the big dude, oh, okay. um, which is funny because if the animal you'd assume he associated with would not be an, uh, an owl. Um, but I just love the, the theming of it that all these characters are based off of animals. Um, and it there's some very interesting encounters with these types of people. Uh, so you're called the wolf a lot in the game, and you're never really called Sekiro, right? Because Sekiro, I think, is a Japanese for lone wolf or something like that. Uh, the One of the NPCs you meet gives you that name, and he talks to you, and he the reasoning for him giving it to you is because of what he sees in you and stuff, which is really cool. Um, I don't have much else to say. Obviously, when you guys get farther in the game, we can talk about specific bosses and encounters. There's an encounter in this game that I haven't experienced in any of the Souls games and from what I've seen with Bloodborne, I don't think it takes place in it either. It's a certain thing that happens in the world. What I will say is you if you're somebody who has common fears that most people have, uh, be prepared. I don't necessarily have a lot of common fears, so it didn't really bother me. But there's there's a portion of this game that like if you have some common fears, it's going to be terrifying. Spiders, snakes, heights. Those kind of things, yes, without yeah. being too specific. Um, but yeah, loving my time. I can't wait for you guys to get farther because there's some specific boss encounters I want to talk about. Um, before the, you were talking about, Dom, without saying too much, that the character you said that people were saying gives a, a lot of people a tough time. I was stuck on him for like a good 45 minutes. Beat uh, my ass. Exactly. Um, yeah, I'm really enjoying Sekiro. Can't wait to hear your guys's. Um, continued impressions. Um, so far, I would say it's my my personal game of the year, but I haven't really played much that competes with it. Uh, I haven't beaten Kingdom Hearts three, so I don't have a full 
opinion on it yet, and I don't want to judge it too soon, but oh. I don't know if it'll... You played it enough. Yeah. Uh, you finish it, so... Yeah. Um, Real quick, I should just say, <clears throat> I played a tiny bit of Final Fantasy VII on my Nintendo Switch. Yeah, of course um, you did. You know what, Dom? I don't want to fucking hear it. Um, but uh, I just got it started and kind of saw how it went, and, you know, it was cool. Um, you may remember that I had started the game on PS4 and got into it and was enjoying, and then um, got out of Midgar, which is kind of like once the game really starts to open up, and that's right when they announced coming to Switch um, in, like, spring of this year. So I decided to wait just because I do really, really want to play it on my Switch. And, um, so, um, so far, so good. I would say, um, I got it for cheaper, I should also say, uh, because of the Nintendo coins or whatever. Um, but, uh, anyways, yeah, glad I did it, glad I waited. Um, we'll see how it goes. Awesome. I'm holding out for the remake. We talked about it before. Um, oh, you're not going to play the original before the remake? No, I'm waiting for them to announce a release date for the remake, and then I'm going to go ahead and, gotcha. like... Yeah. Because um, I just want to focus on it now, and then the game doesn't come out for, like, two years or three years, you know? Right. Um, right, right. So, we're going to hop into some quick news. Uh, we have a lot of news that actually pertains to all of our interests, which is really cool. So, first up, uh, CD Projekt Red. There was some news out of them. Obviously, we've been waiting to hear about Cyberpunk for a while, uh, and... They stated that E3 2019 is going to be the most important in the company's history. Um, there have been rumors that they're actually going to be showcasing two games. And the assumption there is that we're going to see a date for Cyberpunk 2077. Um, whether that's a year or a date this year. I think we're all in agreement that we highly doubt that game comes out this year, right? Possibly, yes. but highly unlikely, right? That Cyberpunk comes out in yeah. 2019. Um, yeah. And the, the, the thought is that they're going to show the date for that and then give a teaser for their next game. Because they kind of did the same thing with Witcher 3 uh, when they unveiled uh, Cyberpunk. So people are assuming that that's going to be the case. Speaking of E3, um, Ubisoft announced their E3 conference. So it looks like still it's just PlayStation and uh, EA is going to be there, but they're not holding a conference either. Um, but Ubisoft's taking the Monday slot at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Going to be interested to see what's happening there. Are we getting Splinter Cell? Are we getting Beyond Good and Evil timeline at the very least? Um, for me, I'm interested to see if we see another Nintendo collaboration because ah. Mario plus Rabbit's Kingdom Battle was so successful. I could see a sequel to that, you know? I don't know how quickly it would take to turn around a game like that. They already have a lot of the assets, so it's just about creating new experiences. I'd be really interested to see if we see anything new from that collaboration between the two. Um, I don't know if you guys have anything to say about Ubisoft. We kind of assumed they were going to be there, right? Yeah, and as far as anything to say about it, literally nothing. So. Yeah. That's how much fun I am today. <laughs> fun, fun, fun. Uh, you're just mad that you didn't get enough time with Sekiro. Or you got too much time. I don't know how it boils out. No, you're right. It's not It's not <laughs> enough. I've, it's yeah. been... That's what it's I been. didn't mention, and part of my frustration is I've only played like two sessions for less you know 45 minutes a piece and that's not that's not how you should play this game yeah. especially at first you need to like get dive in, rhythm. in head first yeah and figure it out but anyway um so wall street journal states that according to their sources and after this uh 
Wall Street Journal came out and said this. There was a couple other places, Eurogamer and GameSpot, I believe, that corroborated this, um, that two new Switch models are incoming this year. Um, we, we've had these discussions if we're going to see a new SKU for it. And apparently, uh, with Nintendo, the goal is to maintain sales momentum. They're actually seeing sales for the Switch slow down, um, and they want to continue the momentum forward. And from these, uh, that according to Wall Street Journal states that one will be a pro version with a p focus on performance um, for the hardcore gamer, and the other will be a cheaper, uh, in their words, 3DS successor. Um, the rumors suggest they'll be unveiled at E3 2019. Attached to this, people are assuming that it wouldn't be surprising if this launches before the new Pokemon game. Um, have new hardware out there for people to buy another Switch and then buy both versions of the game. Um, until there's more concrete details, I don't know if you guys have anything to say about this. Um, the Pro version makes sense. The 3DS successor makes sense because Nintendo's always had a really cheap skew to get into a household. We saw that with the 2DS, right? Where they completely... Rem or not 2DS, the... Was it the 2DS? Which one was the one that was all one piece? Was that the 2DS that wasn't foldable? Yep. Yeah, it yeah, was the 2DS. So they, it was the 2DS, but then they later came out with a 2DS XL that was foldable. But yeah. You're right. Initially, it was just that wedge thing. Um, anything to say here, guys? I forgot about the 2DS XL, Don. That's a good point. Yeah, There's some pretty back. cool uh, you know, special editions of all the 3DSs, frankly, at this point. But especially the 2DS XL is actually kind of dank if you think about it because it's like no one really wants the 3d but you kind of yeah. do want the clamshell yeah right i could never get the 3d to work for me but but Give anyway headaches. for the switch or you could just yeah, have a 3ds xl and not use a 3d like we all do right yeah exactly but jared to answer your question though i think i called this in our 2019 predictions at least i called the cheaper model i can't remember exactly what i said i'll, I'll check while you're going let's see yeah but obviously this is still i still say this is a rumor state right um, still possibility that this isn't real, um, although a bunch of different places are reporting on it, like you said. Um, but it, it just makes a lot of sense for all the reasons you talked about. Like the switch is starting to slow down sales-wise. Um, granted, that should change once they drop this new Pokemon game. That should like be a huge like oh shit okay now we're buying switches for a lot of people who are just waiting for Pokemon right? Yeah. Um, to your point, I real quick, your prediction was a yeah, uh, lighter system with a new battery is what you predicted. Yeah, so I thought only one new version that yeah doesn't sound exactly like what this is, but anyway, I'm at least partially right. I will right say yes. Yeah. You I, predicted a new one, so. I'm not upset whenever I get a console and then they announce we're revising it. You know, it's like, yeah, I've had my Switch for two years now, and it's like mm -hmm. I've had plenty of great times on it. It's paid for itself many times over, so I'm not worried about that. Um, but if I'm on the other end of it where I'm not in that console uh, ecosystem yet and I'm looking to get into it, I think it's always cool when you get a revised system and it's like, well, actually, if I were one of those people, I could be looking at the Switch right now and be like, yeah, I mean, there's a couple things I would change on it, you know? Yeah. So maybe this will be kind of the Switch, like what we wanted the Switch to be at launch, you know? Um, who knows? Maybe they'll just, maybe the upgrades won't be that enticing or that interesting or anything to write home about. But yeah, just I'm literally looking at it across the room and I'm like, yeah, you know, you could, you could have smaller bezels on those fat fucking bezels on that screen and like, 
the crazy like a bigger screen, you know, better battery, yada yada yada. I think the point with the two revisions is to do two things at the same time. One, to get us people who currently own a Switch to buy a new one, right? That's the pro version, or what we assume the point of it is. Or, like, to your point as well, people who haven't had it yet, it gives them, them an incentive that, oh, this is the the highest quality version. While at the same time, people who haven't invested in Switch yet, you give them a lower price point entry with the 3DS successor, but also people who currently own a Switch in a household, that family looks at a cheaper one and be like, oh, we can get the second kid this one too. This is all about getting people a second Switch in their household, buying an upgrade, or getting into the ecosystem for the first time. So it's going to be interesting to see how all this plays out. I wonder if they're going to go forward with three SKUs. Um, I don't know if that's possible. They might just go and remove the one we currently have, right? And they'll have the cheaper SKU and the pro SKU. I don't know if they'd have all three at the same time. And who's to that's say that... That's the part that I'm wondering as well, because three seems like a lot, but I don't know. Yeah, it's it depends on how they see the current Switch, because it could get replaced by either of these or both of these. Like, do they see the pro overtaking the baseline, right? Or do they see, in, in comparison to the pro, the one we have now being the weaker version, so what's the point of having that and just have the 3DS successor? I think they keep so, two... I think they keep these new two. And I they, was, yeah. I was always under the impression. I think we all were up until this point that um, we were just gonna get like a Switch Slim almost. Yeah. Just a, a cheaper revision. But now that I'm thinking about a possible Pro or XL model, I'm like, oh god, man, my imagination's going wild. It's exciting. I'm wanting that shit. Yeah. yeah. Like. If they really fucking nailed it, dude, I don't know. Maybe I would be down and then, you know, like find something to do with my Switch so I don't feel like I'm just like, you know, taking a loss or whatever. Dude, um, the resale value on these things is just through the roof, so. It makes so much sense that, uh, you know, the original Switch launched with the black Joy-Cons but then the blue and red? Sword and Shield are blue and red, so it could come with the sword blue and the shield red, those specific tinges of that color, and it still is like the original one where it's blue and red. As the Joy-Con colors, you know, makes sense. And the bundle makes Look sense. Look at you, Jared. Look at you. So, uh, some news about Dreams. Um, they announced that the early access launches April sixteenth. Uh, so it's releasing finally. The surprising thing is they're charging thirty dollars. Now the conversation here isn't is Dreams worth thirty dollars? Because I think it very well is, if especially if you're somebody who's into creating. The issue I have is with the game that's already struggling to find... Like, I know people love this game, and I know people are going to create awesome stuff with it, but this is a game about creation tools that's releasing at the end of a console's life cycle. And these games are, as cool as they are, they very rarely find success sales-wise. The funny thing is this, Dreams would be a great Xbox Game Pass game. And if PlayStation had a version of that, obviously they have PS Now, but that's not the same because like their first party games don't launch free on it, right? Um, if PlayStation had a Game Pass type thing, Dreams would be great because if you have it, it launches on the release date. You don't have to worry about any financial incentive to buy it except for subscribing, right? Um, 30 bucks seems interesting. I don't know... For the people who are going to try early access, it seems like the like the diehard Dreams fans. And to have them pay 30 bucks for it, I think a game like this, you kind of want people just to dive in and start exploring and see what it is. So I don't know if the 30 bucks is a misstep or not. Once again, not saying that it's well, not worth $30. That's, that's not what I'm arguing, you know? I think we know this much, at least. 
when Dreams was originally revealed at the PS4 reveal, I don't think Sony had it in mind for it to be like their first foray into the fucking early access. Yeah, exactly. Um, it also shows the lack of confidence in it because this wasn't during this wasn't shown during State of Play, which we'll talk about later. And this announcement happened days afterwards, right? So it's interesting. Maybe I'm making assumptions that they weren't confident in it, but maybe the date wasn't locked in. But the fact that it wasn't part of State of Play, but the <laughs> announcement happened days after, there's something there. Jared, clearly Sony is not confident in Dreams. Clearly not confident. Yeah, it's it sucks too because uh, what's the name of studio? The Little Big Planet guys, Media Molecule. Media Molecule. Is this the end of Media Molecule? I hope not. You know, with Tearaway not doing well, this possibly not doing well. Who knows? It's scary. I mean, there's a bigger conversation there. Like that 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 really is a whole other conversation. Yeah. Media Molecule conversation is a whole other. Thing. We'll ha- we'll have that conversation. I think when Dreams actually releases or we find out news. Um, because, yeah, there is a whole situation there with Sony letting them experiment to a detriment, almost. Actually, it's not even a whole fucking conversation. It's just that these guys should not be a AAA studio. Yeah, like, I agree. The games that they're making, the experiments, that's great. It's cute, lovely, want it, want to buy it, want to try it. Don't make it $60 AAA. That's dumb. For it to be sustainable, too, you need to give them a, dumb. a smaller budget to make it financially sustainable. Um this is a, just an interesting rumor. Uh, not too much to say about it. When we hear more information, we'll see how it goes. But uh, a new rumor via Spawnwave Media, and it would also backed by Liam Robertson. Um, there, I describe them as 65-35 sources. 65% of the time they're correct. 35% of the time they're uh, off. So take this all with a huge grain of salt. Um, but a they 35% say, grain of salt. Exactly, a 35% grain of salt. But these guys did uh, predict a lot of the Nintendo Switch stuff correct, as well as a lot of the Direct stuff and some other video game announcements. So they have been right and have had good information, but with a lot of these leakers, they also have a lot of bad information. So not everything they say is true. Anyways, the newest rumor is that From Software is currently working on a game um, that's published by Bandai Namco. That makes sense. Most of their games are. Uh, Details include an open world. Makes sense. Kingdoms you can approach in any order. Um, that obviously sounds a little off-putting for a From game, but once you see the fast travel system in Sekiro uh, and the way it plays out, it makes sense that this would be possible. Um, and you get abilities from killing the leaders of these kingdoms, so the kings or whatever they are. Um, and apparently it's described as like an evolution of Mega Man. So if you're familiar with Mega Man, you go into mm. a boss's stage, you defeat that boss, and you get their power, right? Um, so it's an evolution on that, meaning that you can attack whatever kingdoms you want, and when you finish that kingdom, you get a power that sustains with you. And the way I see it is not necessarily like a small level. It's like a chunk of a Souls game, right? So it's like an, a huge area. And at the end of the area, the main boss is the leader. And then that's what I would assume. Um, a lot of this... So, Jared, you know how um, in the Peanuts um, video specials, let's say a charlie brown christmas for example um when the parents are talking and it's just uh, (laughs) it's just the brass instruments fucking around unfortunately that's what i'm hearing right now because i still have not heard the words bloodborne 2 yeah 
and it's devastating for me. I know you disagree, but holy fucking shit. What? Who do I got to blow around here to get a bloodborne <laughs> through? You know what I'm saying? The positive um, thing I will say is that from just, his wow. from from his often wow. working on multiple games at once, and now that Sekiro's sure. out of the door, hopes are that if this rumor is true, they're also working on Bloodborne too. Who knows? Um, sure, but at this point, I'd just like to say that there have now been multiple like mainline whatever you want to call them uh, from software games, not just your Deracines. There have been multiple mainline uh, from software games without a mention of Bloodborne 2, other than them fucking referencing it in Deracine and then pulling out last second. Oops, sorry, we didn't mean to do that. So I just, I don't like this Bloodborne 2 tease, and I don't mean the good kind where it's a little trailer. I mean the kind where it feels like I'm getting jerked around and not the good kind of jerking around. And to your point, I think the earliest we would hear about that is Game Awards or PSX or whatever, you know. Yeah, well, we thought Game Awards last year. And then, well, wait, was it Game no, Awards a year before. years ago when it was we saw two, Sekiro? Yeah. Jeez, man. Jeez. Um, to this rumor, the last part, the one that I think is the biggest head scratcher, says George R. R. Martin is the lead writer. Um, that's the biggest, I think, is incorrect. <laughs> um, if anything, I think the Lost in Translation of this... If they got this information from a source, I think the Lost in Translation translation is that it's like Game of Thrones licensed, you know? And so, obviously, George R. R. Martin wrote those, so that might have been lost in the rumor spreading or leak or whatever. Um, a lot of the other stuff seems like something From could tackle. It's just that thing is, like, the weirdest part of it. Who knows? Um, last... Wah, 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 wah. Still no news on Bloodborne 2. Wah, 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 wah. Uh, lastly, this is more sorry, of a confirmation as, as as more of a confirmation than it is news, and that's Monolith Soft is hiring for a new Legend of Zelda game. It was revealed via like a Legend of Zelda themed recruiting page that they have. If you're not familiar with them, they co-developed Breath of the Wild with Nintendo. They did a lot of the topography on the map. Um, they're responsible for the Xeno games. Their expertise is open world. So... From this, we know that they're probably working on the X3D Legend of Zelda game. The question with this is, how far along is it? Like, how much of a, a play does Monolith Soft have in the development? Are they still doing the topography type stuff, which comes in towards the later half of development? Or are they full in and they're barely starting, or they're near the beginning that they started a couple of months ago? Um, who knows? We've assumed that they're doing a sequel follow-up in the engine, a la Ocarina and Majora's Mask. Um, but... Legend of Zelda news. Any news is good news, right, Dom? Yeah, I mean, something's going on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hopefully we find out sooner than later. I, I don't think we hear about this, uh, the next 3D Zelda game this year, with Awakening and even Cadence of Hyrule, which obviously isn't a full-on Legend of Zelda, but I think they have enough time to wait on it. Um, let's get into these February MPD highlights. Uh, we can scroll through these. We don't have to spend too much time on them but there is some interesting stuff so sega joined the digital leader panel uh this month so that means their digital numbers will now be tracked obviously we know not everyone's digital sales are tracked but sega's will now be which is great um crackdown 3 failed to reach the top 20 not only in the games for february but on xbox one period um which showcases and we talked about this last week just because Rough. their games releasing game pass doesn't mean they'll be successful. Um, obviously, their sales don't count towards MPD, but we assume that Game Pass was a large factor in that. Because those games, though they didn't review excellent, they still reviewed well. 
Crackdown didn't, and we saw the consequences of that. So we're really getting to the point where you just can't you can't release a shitty game, man. You can't do it. You can't release Anthem. You can't release Crackdown. You can't release <laughs> some half-ass thing that you just shit out sometime because oh well we worked on it for six years and we just we were I guess the cloud technology for the online multiplayer we just spent too much time like at the end of the day somebody's got to be responsible for this and you know we talk a lot about crunch in the industry and things like that it's never easy to <clears throat> properly plan out an enormous media uh, production but uh, I'm really hoping as we move forward with the gaming industry and it kind of matures as a whole that we'll get to the point where um, on the production side of things it's kind of tightened up within the AAA realm I guess you could say because yeah shit like this it's like that's this is showing things are going in a good direction for me that these games are not um as prominent as they would hope and, to be because people just aren't going to take it. We're not going to take it anymore. And the thing is, I'm not giving Microsoft a pass by any means when I say this. I think they knew the game was bad and they just wanted to get it out with all of the delays. I think they're just like at some point, yeah. Get this goddamn game out. Who cares? Just we'll bite the That's bullet. the thing I wonder like how much worse was it last November when it was supposed to release? You know, how much worse was it a year? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cuz it does it just, like, how much worse could it have possibly been? You know, it's weird. And we don't know how many times they actually started from scratch. Like, they just scrapped everything. Who knows? Um, yeah. I mean, it, it worked, right? Like, it, it's not like a broken game. It's just not a great game. Right? In, in the current landscape, you can't sure. be a five and succeed financially. You just can't. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. Not that but as far as, like, how much worse could it have been, like, entirely broken, right? Like, it could have yeah. been not functioning. And the thing is, it's also added value to Game Pass. Now, it's not a whole lot of value, yeah. but it is another game in that program for people, you know? So and Terry Crews is in that thing, so there's something, at and least. It's worth 10 bucks, I think, Game Pass, you know? It's worth 10 bucks to try it out. Anyways, next up, a series I've been championing for a long time, Metro, came out. Metro Exodus came in at number 8, which is great, I think, for the series. Um, it beat the franchise launch sales by 50%. Without PC sales included, obviously they don't track their PC sales. So for it to come in at number eight, without PC sales, for Metro is a PC franchise for the most part. Obviously it's been successful on console, but it got it. Its roots are in PC, just like Witcher. Um, it's good. I'm glad that it sold well. I can't wait to get to it. It'll probably be my April or May get my April game because I don't think anything big comes out. Katana Zero I'm excited for, but nothing else really for me. Um, other big news we're talking about uh, Nintendo Switch this is kind of contradictory to Nintendo saying that they feel the sales are slowing down which is, still can be true um, but they were the best selling hardware in February 2019 both in unit sales and dollar sales and they also are the best selling hardware for the year I don't think any of us are surprised it's the newest hardware on the market it's going to be selling the best good for Switch um Let's get into these top fives for both February and the year. Um, for February, coming in at number five, Red Dead Redemption 2, Far Cry New Dawn, Kingdom Hearts 3, Jump Force at number two, which actually discounts the point of Crackdown 3 because Jump Force reviewed very badly and all those right. anime weeaboos still bought it. And speaking of something that didn't perform very well at launch and a bunch of people well, bought it, 
And just to say on Jump Force, license, right? Yeah. Star Wars Battlefront, you got the license, people are going to buy it. Yeah. Um, number one, Anthem. Um, like I was saying to my point, uh, it doesn't matter. this is a proof that a game cannot be great at launch and still sell very well. Not only did it top the charts in February, it's the second best launch for Bioware since Mass Effect. The only other launch that was better was Mass Effect 3. So, sold very well. Um, and for the top five games year to date, so this is only in 2019, not counting the last 12 months. Number five, Red Dead Redemption 2. Number four, Jump Force. So Jump Force came in and immediately took the four spot. Red Dead Redemption 2. Uh, sorry, Resident Evil 2 holding strong at number three. Number two, Anthem. Anthem released brand new and now is already still at number two. It's probably going to be in the top five the rest of the year. And number one, holding strong, Jordan. I don't know for how long, but it is Kingdom Hearts 3. Kingdom Hearts. At the this is the song <laughs> that they play in Kingdom Hearts. I think by the end of the year, it'll still be in the top ten. I'm interested to see where it finally lands. Um yeah, but it being number one two months in is really cool, either way. Um, we're going to get into a couple of announcements that happened. Uh, I don't have too much to say about this first one, um, but I know Jordan loves Borderlands, so we'll get to hear what he has to say. But there was a Gearbox Borderlands. Pax... There was the Gearbox Pax East panel. It happened today, as the day of recording, at the 20th of March. Um, some of the announcements. So the first half of the presentation was Gearbox Publishing... Nothing really interesting. Bulletstorm's coming to Switch. No one really cares. Um, then there was a 15-minute magic trick by uh, Randy Pitchford. Not the guy great. who's currently trying to convince everyone that he's not a pedophile. Which completely overstated the announcement of a Tiny Tina board game that came out that no one's talking about because he just did a God. magic trick in between it. Um, do more kitty stuff, Randy. That's a great idea. Uh, then it was followed by a stuttering trailer that froze twice for uh, Ultra HD Skin Pack for the Handsome Collection, releasing April 3rd, and Borderlands Remastered, releasing April 3rd, which comes with all the DLC. This presentation, I don't want to stick on it too long, arguably one of the worst presentations I've ever seen. There was freezes in the trailers. Uh, there was, you could see the PC they were working on. There was frame rate issues, and I'm not the frame rate guy, but it was running at two frame, three frames a second for Borderlands 3. Um, but then at the end, there was a big reveal trailer, right, for Borderlands 3 to get everybody hyped. Um, the notes I had, as somebody who's not a huge Borderlands guy, was it showcased multiple environments. Uh, they touted over a billion guns. Um, and the biggest thing is there was not even an indication of any release window at the end of the trailer. Um, so my assumption is it's definitely not coming out this year. Uh, Jordan, as somebody who likes Borderlands, what did the trailer do for you? Hmm... I think it would have been great if it had come out about four years ago. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, this is not a surprise. I've kind of almost beaten this horse to death, so I guess I'll go ahead and do that now and just say that, um, yeah, instead of Battleborn, uh, you should have followed up with Borderlands 3. Once again, a franchise at the height of its popularity and something that, just needed to be done. If you got people that don't want to keep working on Borderlands, then they can leave the fucking studio. Because um, Battleborn was just a dumb, half-assed, a huge in misstep. In some ways, poor <laughs> misstep, and, and in some ways, it's a poor man's Borderlands. And it's just 
it was a cash it was a cash but... grab into the Overwatch zeitgeist. It was it wanted to go for the mobile online battle arena. Right. Yeah. So uh, we've talked also before about how uh, Randy Pitchford's clearly made a plethora of garbage ass decisions. <laughs> Uh, business wise, it was it ballsy. Sorry, to interrupt you. It was ballsy that he he hosted and this. Alien Colonial Marines. So, go ahead. It was ballsy that he hosted this. That they had him host it with everything going on. Yeah. I was actually really surprised that they had him host it. Well, I mean, I kind of made the offhanded joke or whatever, but yeah, like this guy's literally been um, currently under investigation, like having child <laughs> pornography. Yeah, and he's like. Let's do a magic trick and have a tiny Tina board game, little guys. Like, let's not do that right now, buddy. Um, he does that shit all the fucking time. Also, I always thought the dude was weird because he has the fucking wackiest shirts I've ever seen. Like, the most colorful, wacky, weird, creepy shirts. That's a side note. Just wanted to put it out there. <laughs> Anyways. Um, he's not convincing me, I guess, is the way to put it. But uh, besides the point, all the business with Gearbox, the point is, yeah, Borderlands should have been here a long time ago, and the upgrades that we're looking at are not that significant. If I saw this at the beginning of the generation, I would think, yeah, the graphics look great. I would think, yeah, the expanded world looks great. The uh, stuff they're doing with weapons and vehicles, awesome. But now at the end of this generation, uh, when we should probably be playing like Borderlands 4, maybe another spinoff, well, it's just not um, not really making the cut for me. Um, it's just not really doing it for me. Um, I'm going to enjoy Borderlands 3, no doubt, uh, as long as it's not a broken mess, hopefully. But... And I am, I will say, I'm glad to see that they're still continuing the story, even though people act like it's non-existent and they don't give a shit about it. I think it's cool that we still have characters around from the first game, second game. Um, since you are a Vault Hunter and you are not the same Vault Hunter that you were in the last game, it's cool that um, they keep those characters around that you played as in the last game. I like that in Borderlands 2. But anyways... Yeah, it was just underwhelming and exactly what I, I kind of predicted just because um, they clearly don't understand how um, kind of poorly they're handling things and how poorly people are um, looking at them and what kind of a light they're looking at them. Um, so Gearbox, yeah, I, who knows, man. I, I don't know. My but uh, I think we're going to get a good game. It's just like... It's sad that it was such a predictable situation on how they'd just be like, yep, here's a Borderlands 3 trailer that you wish you had multiple years ago. My prediction is when this game releases and it reviews, I think it'll be in the Fallout 4 category in terms of I think it'll review right. well, it'll be a game that people enjoy, right. but it will go down as more of the same and not enough evolution. Like... Uh, Fallout 4, I know Dom, you loved it I love Fallout 4, but I do understand the criticism that it's just Fallout, more Fallout 3 which isn't bad necessarily but it doesn't, it didn't progress the series in any meaningful way that's what well, I think let me, let me step in, Okay. and let me say this Jared because not only did it not progress the series in any meaningful way, Fallout 4 regressed the series, I'm just going to put oh, that damn. out there 
because they actually took away a lot of things that made the previous games great. Anyway, I'll let you continue. Sorry. Yeah, I had, I had to get that off. Yeah. But Can't we did we did enjoy it though. Yeah, it was still a great game. Yeah. yeah, I think that's where Borderlands Three will ultimately end up. As somebody who's not interested in the series at all, this didn't do anything for me. I think it looked cool, but it didn't like get me excited to hop in. So, um, anything you want? Also add? ridiculous that it took this long. Yes, there is something I want to add. <laughs> Also ridiculous that it took us this long to get Borderlands OG on PS4. They should have yeah. just had the whole collection. They did, I guess it's the Handsome or Handsome Jack collection with pre-sequel and 2 on PS4 and Xbox One. Yeah. But yeah, it took this long. It's dumb. Uh, I thought it already was. So this threw me off. I'm like, Game of the Year edition, Borderlands 1. Like, you can't already... We don't have that already? I thought yeah. we had that. Right. Um, it's, it's weird. Anyways, yeah, the whole thing is, it'll go. It's the worst presentation I've ever seen, and I'm kind of being kind. It was just, it's it's weird how Gearbox is doing this thing. You guys will appreciate this, sports boys. Um, imagine a football f- being fumbled by Gearbox, right? And then it's one of those things where instead of a kind of a regular fumble, where within about five seconds it gets picked up, right? Scram. Uh, there's like a scramble towards the ball and people pile up and you got the you got the whoever has the ball right the play's over but this is like where they fumble the ball and then it bounces up and hits the guy's knee they kick it, it with their foot and it, <laughs> they accidentally kick it down the field and so people that didn't even think they were part of the fumble are like trying to get it and then yeah it keeps getting kicked or bouncing off of uh, pads and helmets and random shit and it's just like Oh my god! I didn't think this could last this long. I didn't a think plus we could keep on fumbling. <laughs> a plus. Yeah, just can't get out of their own way. Um, so the last thing, I don't know if we're gonna have a lot to say about PlayStation State of Play as a whole, but because there wasn't a lot of really interesting announcements, if I'm being completely honest. But I want to have a discussion in terms of State of Play as it is and moving forward and all that. But let's just get through these announcements real quick. So it opened with Iron Man VR 2019. Uh, what I will say is that. The opening for this was really cool. Got me excited. I'm like, oh, Iron Man, what is this? Uh, but the, the gameplay. Exactly. The moment you see the VR gameplay, because you think, oh, this is Iron Man VR. How interesting is it going to be? And it's on rails, the most generic VR gameplay you've ever seen in your damn life. Um, and who knows if this is the complete game, but the trailer was just, it was bad. Um, the CG, not gameplay stuff, what they made very clear with very large font, was cool. The actual gameplay that you're going to be experimenting with and experiencing, not great. Um, they then showed Ready Set Heroes, which is a co-op competitive dungeon crawler. Looks interesting, cute little indie game. Um, there was a VR title montage uh, for PSVR. A bunch of stuff we've seen before, Falcon Age. Uh, there wasn't anything really new, if my memory serves me correct. Um... There was Dragon Age sounds like a great Dragon Age spinoff. There was a trailer for that Blood and Truth kind of like crime-based VR game uh, that we've seen mm. for a couple of years. Um, a new trailer for Conquering Genie looks it looks really cool. Um, it's a game I'm probably going to be interested in when it comes on sale. Uh, it looks like a very fun, creative time, but how long is the game? Yeah, is it I, interesting? Who knows. I can't get myself excited for that game if I try. I like the art style a lot. I don't even know if I'd play it on PS Plus. Yeah. I I love the art style. Just the gameplay and everything. I don't know. Um, It seems like a false promise because you're like, oh, I'm going to draw these specific, like, my own creations. It's actually, you know, they're like these templates. Yeah. Um, The coolest coolest new thing we saw was Observation, which is like this 
it's like Five Nights at Five Nights at Freddy's. You know, like in that game, you control cameras, but instead you're controlling a space station, and it's like horror sci-fi. Um, very interesting. There's like okay, this... okay, okay. Now I'm listening. Is this PSVR? Yeah, uh, I think it's both. If memory serves, I think it can oh, be played. That would be both. great because the concept of Five Nights at Freddy's, like trying to like kind of watch different corners of security in this place and all that. It's interesting enough. Uh, I think it's kind of weirdly implemented and it's just freaky, creepy, you know. But um, yeah, I could see like a game where you're like checking security cameras and you you control the station, you like you are the station. Horror. Like you can close yeah, doors and open doors, cool. and that's cool. The trailer was basically showing the psychological breakdown of this female astronaut. It looked really interesting. Okay. Um, we got a Days Gone trailer. Once again, I don't. I think if you're into Days Gone at this point, you're into it. If you're not, I don't know if this trailer sold you. I think it just boasted your thoughts. If you're excited for it, you know, I may be wrong, but I'm somebody that's not into Days Gone. It didn't do anything for me. Dom, I know you're already into Days Gone. Do you think this would have, you know, excited people who weren't interested? It depends, because I mean, there was a lot of coverage that came out a few weeks ago. Yeah. Um, but it was kind of like a lot of. Just some gameplay demos and people had like I don't even know if there was actually gameplay demos that came out, but a lot of people had like previews, like industry people had previews and then talked about it. So like if you were listening to all that, then you know, this wasn't necessarily anything new. But I think if you missed a lot of that, if you haven't been totally tuned into this and you haven't seen anything from this game in a few months, then this trailer could have, yeah, it could have done a, could have turned a corner for you because it looked fucking sweet, frankly. But yeah, if you've already been following it, like, yeah, it's not anything really new. So yeah, um, and I think that this state of play was also, I think, a showpiece to sell people on Days Gone that weren't sold already, um, which is a good thing for Sony. Uh, and lastly, they closed out with which I think is the best trailer of the year so far, uh, the Mortal Kombat 11 trailer, which was new school versus old school. Um, it unveiled Jax. Uh, who people didn't know was in the game yet. And it showed Liu Kang and Kung Lao. Um, really cool. The whole point of MK11 is it's about time travel. And this trailer showcased that. It showed younger versions facing the older versions and their personality differences. Great music choice. Um, really solid trailer. It was weird. And I'm not saying this is specifically a Sony problem because this happens with directs and obviously <coughs> Microsoft stuff. But this did feel like a pay-for-slot kind of thing. It's like, we got this final slot in the state of play, and, you know, NetherRealm's like, well, we'll pay for that slot and get that, that, uh... Because the game's coming out next month, obviously. It's not a bad thing. Like, I'm not bashing it for it, but it just felt like that. It was kind of weird. Because normally, for these type of things, you close on an exclusive announcement, right? Like, Nintendo always closes on... We saw the Link's Awakening remake. Uh, Microsoft always closes on... Did they close on Cyberpunk? So I guess that's an exception. I guess I'm wrong there. Last year at E3? Uh, it's still pretty big, though. Not exclusive, but that's a big closer. Yeah, I guess. Point, I guess. Um, I'll just say that, you know, PlayStation, they've got to get people excited, man. Obviously, we are excited about Death Stranding, Last of Us Part Two, Ghost of Tsushima. Uh, Ghost of Tsushima, thank you. But you still got to do other things to make us excited. Like, this is... They're cord. They're supposed to be courting us as gamers, right? And it feels like they've just stopped. They're like, well, 
you know we're getting married with Last of Us Part Two or whatever, so it's like, why do you even care? Why do we have to be romantic about it? It's like, well, you fucking need to. I need that, <laughs> well, you know? The, so the thing is, I'll say this was, I think the format was for it was great. Uh, Don, did you watch the actual State of Play? Yeah, uh, not until like we had started talking about it. Okay. All I had was like watch the, the Twitter uh updates about it but then later on i actually went through and watched it because i was curious enough so people hated this damn thing and i was like and wow I, so i think the format and the pacing was exceptional i think it was great i yeah. think the problem was content and it's not that it I, not that the content featured was bad it's all context right so we're, we're we're nothing happens in a bubble before the state of play happens we know playstation isn't being at e3 they're not going to be at E3. We hear they're going to do these. We're assuming there's rumor they're going to do these like Nintendo Direct style things. We there's maybe not going to be a PSX this year. What's happening? Okay, they announced State of Play. Cool. This is going to be their chance to show us why they're not coming to E3. Okay, they said PSVR and PS4 titles. Okay, so my assumption is it's going to be PSVR stuff. But they got to give us a date for Death Stranding, Last of Us, or Ghost of Tsushima. One of them. You know, worst case scenario, we'll get a date for Dreams. So they had to close on something at the end of the show. And then we see it. It's well-paced. Format's great. Ends on a great Mortal Kombat 11 trailer. And people are sitting there waiting for the one more thing because this is PlayStation's first day to play. What's the PlayStation ender? What makes this a PlayStation product? And I do think that that was what irritated people. Matt, even if you just... If the Dreams thing would have ended... The state of play. I think some people would have been disappointed because the internet's angry. I get that, but I do think if there wouldn't have been as much vitriol if if it was as small as a dr- the dreams beta early access thing. I just think that people's expectations and yes, there were plenty of people who were expecting an E three level conference. That's dumb. But I think the more rational people, I do think they have a point in being a little bit upset because this was supposed to be the explanation as to why they're missing E three. And I want to discuss with you guys because there's two frames of thought here. In one camp, people think that they set exceptions extremely well. That going forward, you could possibly get a big reveal, but you don't expect that all the time. And other people are in the camp that they messed up the first impressions because you need to have people understand why they should even watch these things. Viewers, They think that viewership is going to drop off yep, in the next yep, one because yep. this is their expectation now. Those are the two camps. Why in the fuck... Would I, specifically me, watch the next one if I wasn't even interested enough to watch the first one and it did not, you know, set the world on fire? Yeah. And then why, if I'm you that did watch it and wasn't necessarily all that impressed, why am I going to watch the next one? And it's like Dom that kind of got interested halfway through, like, are you dying to watch the next one? And I think the way they get around that is they clarify, like, they need to be specific. They were specific in this. I'm not saying they weren't, but they need to. The thing is, do they in the next one, do they specify that there's going to be uh, an exclusive announcement or Last of Us footage? Or they specify it, but then that ruins the surprise in it, you know? It's like they're... No, I don't think they should do that. They should have just set the tone properly with the first one. Maybe they do set the tone because they don't want you to think that it's going to be anything all that special but who knows and this is, we also ugh, this is tough to deal with man we also don't know how Jesus. often these things are going to happen people think they're going to be like directs where we get maybe four of them a year with the you know nindy sprinkled in yeah. but we could get two of these this year we have we have no 
no idea because this is the first one, you know? This it's it's tough because Dom and I were talking about this. I wasn't disappointed because I had my expectations set, but I do understand why people were upset because there wasn't it felt like a kind of hollow ending. I, I told you, I love that Mortal Kombat 11 trailer. I think it's the best trailer of the year. But when you're watching these things, you're like, okay, what's the one more thing? What's the PlayStation ender? It's weird to end a PlayStation state of play with a Mortal Kombat 11 trailer. It's weird. just doesn't feel right. Um, I guess, like, I don't know. that. I don't really understand that just because I, I don't know how it's weird because they've not done it before. But in, I, I don't know. I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, they haven't done it before, so you shouldn't have the expectations that that's how it's going to be. Yeah. The, like I told you, the whole context of like them not being at E3, the normal person, like we understand, like, it's like whatever, the normal person is like, oh, this is the replacement for E3. I'm excited. And then they tune in and they're like... But why oh. would you say that? I guess to me, I'm like, I wouldn't... Because you mentioned like, yeah, this is supposed to be their answer to why they're not at E3. But I'm like, what? I don't know. Nothing really led me to think that that was what this was and even if it was part of that answer even then i'm like i don't really see that because they could have two or three more of these before e3 or another one during e3 but even if they don't i mean i don't i'm not expecting necessarily an answer to why they're not at e3 i guess unless they literally were to say something like that i don't know i just i didn't really have much expectations at all yeah i didn't even watch it live but And I understand your perspective specifically, Dom. Like, I totally get it. But we have to talk about the average person who's a PlayStation fan that hears, oh, they're not doing a PSX this year. Oh, they're not going to be at E3. Being a PlayStation fan, and the first thing he hears, oh, they're doing this PlayStation State of Play. You get on the internet and you start reading, like, oh, it's going to be their Nintendo Direct type of thing. Oh, the last Direct, I'm not familiar with Nintendo that much. Let me go and see what it is. Oh, they do Link's Awakening. And... You know, people are comparing this to directs, and they're like, well, directs don't always have a big announcement. True, but they do always end with something specifically Nintendo-related. And it's not even the ending. They always have, like, a whoa moment in them. Yeah, so so you're, I mean, you're right, because that's how most people did react, right? Like, the, yes, the internet was we saw was the dislikes. <laughs> yeah. Right, the, you're definitely right, and that's what how people did react, and that's, your analysis is right, because that's what people were expecting. But I'm just like, I don't understand that and i'm calling those people out kind of being like you're a bit entitled here i think because like they didn't say anything like they're not they don't owe you anything one i mean i guess you can contextually build some expectations yourself but that's to me like your own problem than if you don't you know fulfill those but at, at worst i could only see like like jordan's take was like well this wasn't that interesting i probably won't tune in live for the next one that's about as mad or as upset I could see someone reasonably getting about it. Like, oh, well, this was not that great. Well, maybe I won't watch the next one. Yeah. Move on with your day, I guess. You know what I mean? That's about as critical as I could imagine a reasonable person being of this. Because it's like they announced some games and showed some stuff that didn't exist or wasn't shown the day before. And they didn't have to do that, I guess. I don't know. I just it, the kind of like the harshness of people against it was weird to me. I, I don't know. It's like... It's just one of those things. The internet is loud sometimes, I guess, and so I'm like, eh. Yeah, I think it's, for me, I try to take the opinions of the people in the middle because there's people that are way too forgiving, I think, sometimes, and there's people who are way too harsh, right? Because, like, there's some people, like, Jeff Kanata or even Greg Miller were like, this is fantastic, this is so great, and I'm like, ah, you can like it, but I don't know if it's fantastic, you know what I mean? I guess, 
if you're like a huge PSVR guy, then I I see why you'd say that. But to me, I was kind of like, eh, I don't. But know. even uh, then, No Man's Sky looked pretty cool. But I'm like, eh, you're th- you're talking about people are like, oh, but PSVR sold PSVR sold over four million units. Over eighty five million people own a PS4. That's a small segment. Great sales, but it's a yeah, small that's segment. That's not the state of play. The state of play is not that everyone's playing PSVR, so it shouldn't be the majority or at least a huge chunk, you know. I think the fact that it was VR and no major PlayStation stuff was like a double whammy. And, you know, they they stated it was going to be PSVR games, but I do think because they also added PS4 games, people were assuming... Like, we don't know if Death Stranding, Last of Us, or Ghost of Shima are coming out this year... Do we get another one of these in time for them to say the game's coming out in the fall? Who knows? Like I said, we don't know when the next one is. Um, and to your point, Dom, like I'm not mad either, but it, it's I I love the pacing, I love the format. It just didn't have the I'm indifferent on it, you know. It didn't have like the oh that was great moment. It was just like oh it was right, it yeah. was it was fine, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. So, and for PlayStation not being at E3 for me personally, I'm like if they're going to be doing state of plays. I'm not even a PlayStation fan, but I would like them to be more than fine. Maybe just even the first one would be more than yeah. fine. That's what's frustrating, but I'm not like, <laughs> you know, I don't know. Yeah, and some of them probably will be, like, more than fine. You know, one of these times they're going to – they are they probably it, will drop a release date for Death Stranding or they'll announce a remake of, like, Metal Gear Solid 1 ground up or something. You know what I mean? And there will be some of those. I that bet, will not I go over think, well. I don't know. Metal well, Gear Solid One, grab whatever the yeah, I you know what I mean yeah. though, kind of a um, maybe a bad example, but <laughs> yeah, it's it's tough. I think the when we hear the next one is happening, we'll say a lot about like the pacing for the year and what they plan to do. It's it, the thing too. I think this is proof that they are in the state that we've thought about, where like they're in the in between. Like these games aren't coming out soon. They don't have a whole lot to show, and maybe this is a byproduct of like. They couldn't have shown anything crazy because they don't have anything crazy ready. You know what I mean? That could also be mm. a point of it. Maybe they didn't show anything because they, they didn't. They obviously don't feel pressure to, but like they didn't. They couldn't because they're nothing's ready yet. So, so and they're in the state of like, do we wait to do a state of play later when we can give a date for something that people would be super excited for, or do we start our state of play to give people frame of reference for the pacing and the format? You know. I will commend them on pacing and format. I think, and to some extent, they do the pacing better than Nintendo because there wasn't anybody coming out and like breaking it up very weirdly. It's just the content wasn't necessarily there. And some may argue that the content with a brand like Sony that has these amazing first party studios, that's the easiest thing for them to nail. And that's the frustrating thing is because like you'd expect them to maybe mess up the pacing, you'd expect them to maybe mess up the format, but they nailed those and the content where it was like is where it was lacking. So, yeah. yeah, I think it's what you're saying. We're like, they're just kind of content light these days. Yeah. I mean, what are they going to ask Kojima to make another Death Stranding trailer? Like he's spent more time making trailers than making the game. And you know what I mean? <laughs> trailers and these demos or whatever take a long time too, right? I just think, I think you're probably right. And it's a lot of a factor of, and it's just not that much. I think it's also want to get something out. I don't know. Part of the anger I think is people want one of those three big games to be coming out this year, and they're possibly getting to the realization that that might not be the case. Obviously, it's not fact; we don't know. But you know, mm-hmm. as the months pass and these announcements don't feature that stuff, people are like, "Are we not getting one of those three games this year?" And it leads to disappointment, which adds on to the anger. Yeah. And in the meantime, they're trying to show you like 
because we keep talking we've we've all been doing it right for the past two two years or whatever of like those are the big three uh, exclusives that Sony's working on. It it was four back when before Spider Man released. Now, right? Yeah. And so instead of like, more. yeah, yeah. And so instead of what you're saying and them giving us more on one of those, a release date for one of those, they're trying to prove to us that Days Gone belongs in the conversation with those other three, right? Yeah. By giving us another trip. So I think that's their perspective, and Days Gone just doesn't have the impact of a God of War Spider Man. Well, and the tough thing too with Sony <laughs> not doing a whole lot of stuff in the indie realm with partnerships is like. We just got a Nintendo Direct that people loved because of a remake of an old game and then a devel- an indie developer working on their own IP. So, like, PlayStation could possibly do that, too, and that could be a good announcement, but they don't really they haven't really set the foundation to do that. You know what I mean? Like, the weird thing, too, is where was the Medieval remake? That, like, went silent for some reason, you know? Oh, yeah, you're right. right. Where was that? That was weird. Anyways, we'll see. I think the next state of play will say a lot in terms of what PlayStation's plan is for their cadence of, of them and their content and everything. We'll see. Anyways, in terms of what we're going to be playing, for me, more Sekiro. Haven't had a chance to see us. I'm probably going to see it this weekend. Excuse me, hopefully. Oh. Um, oh. Yeah, it's pretty much it for me. More Sekiro. I want to dive in. I hope to beat it this week. Hopefully. Who knows? Probably not. Uh, that's for it for me. Yeah, I'm going to... Get, I'm gonna hopefully get more time into Sekiro, because um, yeah, like I said before, I need I need to do it. I didn't get nearly enough in, but I I forgot to mention I did go see Us last weekend. If you're into horror movies, like I think it's you should you should go see it. It's really really good. I had four That's other awesome. friends who saw it. Two two of them loved it. One of them was like indifferent, and one of them hated it. It's a very polarizing movie. Very interesting. Really. I, the reviews are mixed too. It's very weird. It's very weird. Uh, okay. Yeah. I gotta. I trust your opinion. Though. I'm I'm still excited to see it despite mixed opinions, but it's very interesting I mean, how polarizing it is. It's different than because uh, I really loved Get Out, uh, Jordan Peele's other movie. Um, it's very similar to that movie in one large sense, but then it's also very different in another large sense. Yeah. Um, that's all. Did, speaking of Jordan Peele, did you guys see the Twilight Zone trailer, the teaser? Oh, I'm so, oh, I'm yeah. so excited. Oh, man. This, oh, this this chump over here is going to buy CBS All Access because it's the only goddamn way you can watch that shit. If if Marvel um, reboots Blade, I want him to direct Blade. Just quick note, Jordan Peele has a movie that he did that's better than Get Out. A movie? <laughs> it's about a cat. It's called Keanu. <laughs> Have you seen that shit, dude? That's a fucking good... That's a good movie. It's... It's probably not as good as Get Out, but it's fucking good. <laughs> well, now I'm curious. I didn't even know that existed. Yeah, it's it's not Key and Peel like sketch comedy connected, but it's yeah. but it's them. It's Key and Peel, the dudes. Uh, okay. Uh, and they have this cat that they find, and they you know kind of like go on an adventure with this cat because they fall in love with you know this cute little kitten. Jordan, you gonna do? Yeah. Jordan, you gonna be playing Sekiro? Second up, indeed. Hell yeah. Um, I will uh, be wolfing it up if <laughs> <laughs> with your shinobi. Uh, yeah, I I think I think I am gonna get around the combat, like kind of wrap my head around it, and be able to uh, get a little get a little bit better with this uh, defense and parry system. And it is extremely essential to the game. So, um, 
I think once I kind of lock my understanding of that in a little bit better, then um, hopefully I'm going to be really jamming along with this guy. So, um, But yeah, hopefully get around to a little more FF7 Switch. Switch. Um, so, and then, uh, yeah. Hell yeah. That's it for episode 139. Thank you guys for joining us. Uh, hopefully we have a guest next week. I'm going to see. I was wanting to have a guest this week, but PAX East, everyone's, you know, doing that whole thing. Um, Playing Borderlands 3 or something. <laughs> thank you guys for listening. If you can, please follow us on iTunes. Leave us a, a review. It helps us move up the charts and the algorithm so people can see the podcast. If you can, go over to YouTube, subscribe to us, leave a like, smash that like button, um, and hit the bell Whoa. the bell icon. It lets you know when we upload because, you know, YouTube subscription uh, model is kind of messed up and you don't always get your subscriptions in your feed. doesn't happen all the time, but just to be safe, hit that bell icon. If you can, follow us on Twitter at CTRLINT. That's controlled interests abbreviated. I am at Jared underscore. Dom is at Dom's Oreos. And Jordan is at Mellow Modus. We'll catch you guys next time. Bye.